0: Welcome to Amidon Planet. I'm your host, Joel Amidon. Thank you for joining me on this never-ending quest to learn how to teach better. I know there's a lot of options out there for podcasts, and I'm appreciative that you hit play on this episode. So, speaking of this episode, today on episode 85 of the podcast is Dr. Jeremy Wallace and Dr. Jeremiah Sims, who authored The White Educator's Guide to Equity. Teaching for Justice in Community Colleges. Some of you that are familiar with the podcast are familiar with the name Dr. Jeremiah Sims. He's been on twice before talking about the impact framework. We talked about Ideal Fellows. And today uh, he joins us with his co-author and Jeremy Wallace, who took the lead on this book, The White Educator's Guide to Equity. And Jeremy Wallace is associate professor of English at the College of San Mateo in California. Uh, And he and Jeremiah have teamed up before to author Minding the Obligation Gap in Community Colleges and Beyond, Theory and Practice in Achieving Educational Equity. And so, and again, we've met Jeremiah Sims before in previous episodes of the podcast, so he's no stranger to Amazon Planet. Um, He's the principal consultant of Rooted in Love and founding director, lead teacher of Initiative in Diversity, Equity, Anti-Racism, and Leadership, again, Ideal. Those ideal fellows, again, look back at one of our previous episodes. Again, there'll be links in the show notes. He is a series editor of Educational Equity in Community Colleges, which is what this book is a part of, and author of Revolutionary, Revolutionary STEM Education and co-author of Minding the Obligation Gap in Community Colleges and Beyond with Jeremy. So they, they've they worked together at the College of San Mateo. They've uh, wrote together. And it's just a privilege to be able to have them on the podcast together to talk about this new book. And so as always, when we talk about a book, we want you to know that we're not going to be able to communicate the whole value of the White Educators Guide to Equity. Um, I got a little peek at it uh, in advance of this episode. And I was just like, well, I got to highlight that, got to highlight that. Can't really, don't have enough time to talk about this. I mean, I'm just highlighting and I'm making notes. There's just so much value in this book. I think Really, it, and I think it comes across in the episode. There's a really great balance of theory and practice. So you know enough theory so like we can get deep into it, like of the why what we're doing, what we're doing, but then also to see the how. And Jeremy and Jeremiah do a really good job of putting both those things out there. And there's a lot in the book, and I'm glad that they again that they took the opportunity to put what they knew into it and were able to share it with the world. And in, like. Books are gifts. I mean, when you think about like the price of of a book and like how much knowledge and of that someone is bestowing upon you through, I just I love books. Love books. Anyway. We're not going to be able to capture the whole value of the book. And even if we did, it'd be from our perspective. So in other words, if you like what you hear, get the book for yourself. So the book is set to be released less than one week after this podcast is published. So I posted links in the show notes to bookshop.org, which is a website committed to helping local independent bookstores thrive in the age of e-commerce. So you can navigate uh, to amadonplanet.com forward slash episode 85 those links, and if you purchase the book, there will not only support local booksellers, but but also the production costs of the Amazon Planet podcast. Better yet, though, support your local businesses. Wander down to your local bookseller. We've got a great one here in Oxford, uh, Square Books, uh, and pick up a copy. You know, if they don't have it on the shelves, just ask them, hey, can you order this? And more than likely, they can. So that's what's awesome about those uh, local booksellers. And, and, again, those are your neighbors, so we, we like to support them. All right. So, there's so much in this episode. Didn't want to take too much time. Uh, so, let's get into it. Here's my conversation with Jeremy Wallace and Jeremiah Sims, co authors of The White Educator's Guide to Equity Teaching for Justice in Community Colleges. Welcome to Amidon Planet, Jeremy, and welcome back to Amidon Planet, Jeremiah. Thank you both for being here. How are you, Jeremy? How are you? New to the, amp- new to the planet, I guess, was what we're saying. <laughs> kind of a weird introduction but that's okay how are you doing today jeremy good man yeah we just uh came off
1: of two weeks of torrential downpours in san francisco and so we got a little bit of sun outside and feeling good yeah semester's about to start so yeah
0: it's
2: a good january 12th
0: yeah we're both we're both gearing up yeah (laughs) and jeremiah how are you doing
2: Doing a lot better. So my my youngest son, Jehu, and we have five boys. Uh, he had a really high fever last night. And so I was in the emergency room with him till about two o'clock in the morning. Ooh. Praise God, he's fine. Um, he just needed some Tylenol. Uh and so, and then we we are I'm up north. I'm about three hours from Jeremy now. Um, but it's it's storming up here too in California. Yeah. We haven't had rain like this in a long time. So I have I've been blessed to be in a position to have two houses. We live in a house and then we have an Airbnb house. Last year I put new roofs on both of them and that was no fun because i was out of pocket and both of them are leaking and the roof removed <laughs> to texas oh. so um but, but you know god is still good and we're happy and we'll get it taken care of it just was a lot happening at one time but i'm yeah, happy yeah. to be here
0: yeah and so you know jeremiah is no uh no stranger to the podcast but uh jeremy and it, and we can uh, give some self-introduction. So, Jeremy, if you want to give a chance to to introduce yourself and just share a little bit so we can have a little bit of context going into our conversation about your book.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, I teach uh, English at the College of San Mateo, which is a community college in the San Francisco Bay Area, about halfway between San Francisco and San Jose. Um, I uh, grew up in Phoenix, Arizona. I moved out to California for college, uh, you know, at the college in the Bay Area as well. Um yeah, it's kind of my story. Yeah, I got three kids, two a dog, a cat, you know. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Live up in San Francisco. A in a yeah, we got dog, yeah, we got a dog last uh Man. last fall. Okay. Yeah. So nice. a, lot a lot of work now. Yeah, they are a lot yeah. of work and
0: yeah. <laughs> and Jer- Jeremiah, any updates for you? Uh this is the last time we talked about uh, to the biome.
2: I don't know. It's just, a, you know, not really. We working on this book with Jeremy has been a, a real pleasure. So Jeremy is 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 humble, but Jeremy was also our academic Senate president and our district academic senate president. Wow. Some of the things that he put in place uh during his tenure, it ruffled some feathers. Mm-hmm. But he was unabashed uh in his pursuit of justice, right? Even the idea of program review, which is where people ask for stuff, right? Jeremy was like, no, we need to tie that to equity right uh, and it seems like a no-brainer yeah. for us yeah yeah but that is that is that is revolutionary and forward thinking and it was met with some opposition and but he kept pushing through and jeremy to tell you this jeremy so does he doesn't look like your typical uh director of an emoji program but he's also uh instrumental in the emoji program as well and so i just want to make sure that those things are covered that's my that's my guy um <laughs> it's funny we would be in meetings and uh I'd say something and, you know, anti-blackness is real. Right. And then Jeremy would purposely say the same thing and a different reaction. Then we have, well, then we can talk about the different reaction. Right. <laughs> well, I come Jeremy said it you could receive it, but you could. So anyway, he's always been a co-conspirator uh, much more than an ally. And that's my guy. And so I'm really yeah. happy to share this space with Joel, who's my friend and Jeremy, who's my friend. This is great times for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I guess uh, just real quick with emoji program, what's,
1: What's that? Yeah, Moja, yeah. So Moja is a uh, it's a it's a educational foundation here in California, okay. um, and basically it's essentially an academic learning community. Um, okay. And the statewide statewide organizations, you know, probably about fifteen years old, and mm-hmm. um, it started with a collection of maybe twelve community colleges in California who were sharing best practices about working with African African American students. It's, You know, they're up into the 70s now. There's over 70 nice. programs in California, a couple up in Washington. Um, but yeah, they're just the whole goal is to their whole mission is to, um, is to you know promote the success of of our black students in the community colleges in particular.
0: Nice, nice, glad I asked. Well, and uh, again, I always say we're, we put links to stuff in the show notes, and like those are, I. Yeah, that's something I'd like to connect with to see just what's going on with uh, that organization. Awesome. But we're here to talk about uh, the book, the book. So the white educators guide to equity teaching for justice in community colleges. And I'm just excited that I, you got, I got a chance to review it uh, a little bit not completely read it because I haven't had much time, (laughs) but, but it's just coming out. Is it already out?
2: It's available for pre-order. It should be out. Uh, it should be out in February. Frankly, okay. I'm, I, I heard from some folks, and I think that February, towards the end of February, it'll be
0: out. So. Nice, nice. So very, very close after we uh, release this episode. Very good. Um, so, whoever can wants to take the lead. So, how did this book come to be? I mean, I know Jeremy. It seems like you kind of taking you're taking the lead in writing this. So, like, how did this book come to be?
1: Yeah, I think um, it was kind of the confluence of three things. Um, the first was that there was definitely a gap in the literature when it came to community colleges and racial justice, um, with the exception of like a couple of of the publications and books that, you know, Dr. Wood has come out with and Dr. Harris. Um, But, you know, but by and large, there's not a lot of literature out there about how to work with students of color, especially for, um, for white educators. Um, So, so actually what ended up happening is that, you know, several years ago, I actually started a blog on my website. Um, that was just kind of my experiences. Some of the practices that I found were effective in the classroom. Um, a lot of those blog posts actually ended up becoming content for the book itself. Um, so there's that piece, just like kind of like a gap in the literature also just a lot of, a lot of our colleagues at CSM at college, of San Mateo, just asking like, Hey, Jeremy, do you have resource for this? Or like, what do I do with this? Like, you know, like I, this happened, what do I do? And so, you know, Jeremiah laughed cause he was all, probably got like, you know, 10 times as many questions as I got. Right. <laughs> so, um, so a lot of people were really interested in this topic. Um, and then finally, I, I think it was just a really good follow up to our book, minding the obligation gap, which really kind of focused on, racial justice at an institutional level, um, you know, with a big focus on leadership and programming, professional development. So I felt like, you know, going from the institutional level down into the classroom felt like the next evolution of,
0: of this uh, book series. Yeah. Well, Jeremiah, you're the editor of this series and you, you contribute to this book as well. So like yeah. what, how did this come to be from your perspective?
2: So, so in minding the obligation gap, right. Minding the obligation gap for it, you know, a lot of reasons was the why of the work. And mm. and we'd like to feel like I know Joe, you you would like to feel like this, Jeremy and I as well, that we're past the why, but we're not. Right. There it is. Right. We yeah. got we still have to have a lot of conversations about why this work is necessary because there are people right. who are uh just in a place. So there's something that that that's not in this book, but I I I I I heard about this and I want to recommend this book. Uh the author's name is Grant, and it's called Think Again. And he talks about something called Anton syndrome. Right. And so Anton syndrome is people who have a degenerative eye disease, um, but they're unable or they're, they're otherwise cognitively okay, but they're unable or unwilling to recognize that they're going blind. Right. And so they will continue. So I talked about a story of a woman who would continue to navigate her house. She bumped into the same things over and over again because she refused help. She just said that it's too dark. We need to turn up the lights. So she was actually blind to their own blind to our own blindness. That's what Anton <laughs> syndrome means. It means blind to your own blindness. And so we could talk about blind spots, right? And having conversations about blind spots is only a kind of, if we're being honest, superficial, right? Because people have to recognize that they're even blind to their blind spots in the first place. And so we felt like uh drilling down and in 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 my obligation gap, there's a chapter in the called the pedagogy gap, right? And so this is kind of the outgrowth of of that kind of work, right? It's one thing to tell people you need to be better educators. It's another thing altogether uh to, to help folks put that into practice, right? To, or praxis, right? And so, you know, it, it, I think a lot of it for me, the part that I contributed was fueled by what Fred Hampton said, right? Chairman, you know, former chairman of Black Panther Party of Self Defense in Chicago. He said, listen, theory is cool, right? You know this quote, Jeremy, but theory without practice ain't, and it's an S word, it ends with a T, I'm not going to say it, but that's that's the reality, right? You mm-hmm. can help people Uh, understand why they need to be better, but I think about it like a foot race. If I go to a bunch of folks who are about to run a race and I saddle them with weight, with new burdens, or even unintentionally activate some white guilt, right? Especially for my brothers and sisters who have been racialized as white in this country. They can't run. They can't run to, uh, to, to their fullest potential. And so the goal is to help them understand that there's a race. There are things that you need to carry, but here's how you do it. And so this is not... The only way to do it. And it's not necessarily exhaustive, but it's one of the ways uh, it's a guide. Right. And so and so anytime you're looking at something like uh, navigating a national park, remember we went to Zion National Park a few years ago. Um, there's there are guides there. You can go any direction you want, but there are guides and the guides are helpful. So we just felt like this was a guide for folks who want to enter into this work, perhaps for the first time or return to the work. And that's, you know, we feel like the principles, you know, can apply across the board, but it's especially for folks who have had difficulty finding their footing um, in equity and justice work in the classroom.
0: Nice. Well, and the, the way that you've structured the book, so maybe, Jeremy, you can dive into that, like the the general format of the book and, and how you see readers engaging with it. Because, I, again, I like the way you've structured it with the how you put the chapters and things. I don't know, if you give some insight into that?
1: Yeah. Um, so, I ended up dividing the book into two parts. Um, The first part of the book is really kind of focused on like kind of the inner work, right? So um, it's what Rhonda McGee, who's a uh, professor up at USF would call the inner work of racial justice. Hmm. Right. Um, I realized as I was starting to write the book that you can't just walk into a classroom and change your curriculum, change the activities you use in class. Like there's, there's no world where You can simply take tools into a classroom and achieve justice and equity, right? Um, So the first part of the book is really like the kind of the work of, you know, looking in the mirror, right, understanding your implicit biases, any kind of racist ideas or actions that you are kind of complicit in, um, understanding those, kind of trying to um, break them down, trying to critique them, trying to um, to, to, you know, to work, to work on one's kind of, uh, you know, biases and, and racism to be to kind of be blunt. Right. Um, and then it kind of goes into part two, which is like the, probably the, the meat of it, which is like, this is like, you know, these are the different types of pedagogies that you can use in the classroom. These are the different types of things you can do to your curriculum. Right. Cause I think in, you know, and Jeremiah, I, I know can speak to this as well, but I see too many white educators who, who walk into a classroom, and you know they'll add a book by like a black author, right? Or they'll do check what the you box. know, <laughs> yeah, check the box, right? Yeah. yeah. And and the, and you know, and these folks are, without critiquing their their whiteness and their white privilege and their white power over their students of color, like they're just they're just simply you know, I, th- I think the terms white saviors, right? At least that's maybe the yeah. complex that they're taking in there, right? Yeah. Um, that there's nothing wrong with what them, that it's like somehow they have to save the kids in the class, right? And it's just not the, not, and so the book actually goes in, critiques that kind of white saviorism and says like, you gotta do work on yourself before you can do the work in the classroom.
0: And, and the questions you put at the end of each chapter, I think like get you to do some of that work as well, right? I'd, Like in in order to kind of examine some of those concepts and things and think about how it applies to your own, what you're bringing to the classroom or what what you're doing in the classroom or. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. So and I think that's part of the like the series as well. Right. So each chapter ends with a short synopsis, keywords and of course, like reflective questions um, that kind of encourage the reader to kind of think about the concepts that they um, read about in the chapter and how to apply those to themselves, to their classroom, right, to their curriculum. Um, the, the other piece of it is that the, you know, the, the book is very heavy on theory as well. Um, like I, I kind of resist this like notion that community college educators don't want to kind of mm-hmm. wrestle with theory. Um, I know there's a lot of like teaching guides out there where it's just like this, you know, it's a very, like, this is what you do. Here's a sample syllabus, like put your stuff in there, take it to class, right. Here's an activity you can do. And that's, you know, like that's, it's pretty pretty reductive and a little insulting, I think, for the professionals that work in our community colleges. So I did want to give the readers kind of the theory behind a lot of the practices that they're going to be using in the classroom. Um, and then throughout the book, you'll find a lot of what we're calling practicums or practica. So the actual stuff that, you, this, that the, the readers can take into the classroom, right, um, ways to adjust the curriculum, activities to use. Like, for example, there's one practical in there about like just community norming, right, early yeah. in the semester, and how to create like ground rules for talking about, you know, things like race and, you know, gender and you know, things like that.
0: Yeah, and I saw like the I think close to there was uh, about the like think about what's in the syllabus, right? Yep. Even just as practical as a syllabus, and thinking about how you can you can make that a more approachable thing uh, to mm-hmm. you know. Even because a, a lot of times those syllabi are being just handed down the path if it's a pre-existing course and like you're not questioning and, and that's, it kind of goes back to some of those, uh like the story of the, we use the metaphor of the six foot two people at oh, yeah. the beginning of the book, Jeremiah, right, right, like right. talking about it, it's a whole world built for people, folks that are six foot two. And if we just keep perpetuating that even though those the original folks are not there and you think like well this syllabus like what exists within it and and, and am i just putting some band-aids on it like you're saying jeremy like just put oh let's we'll just insert this reading and and then oh this is a this is a great syllabus now versus like (laughs) no it's really interrogated (laughs)
2: culturally relevant right oh yeah yeah
0: oh yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. we're we're good now (laughs) but like to think like that you know like to and then maybe that even might even be a, an entry point for someone. Like they'd like, hey, look at your syllabus and and compare it to what's here, and and even just ask some of those questions that ex- exist within the book, and then thinking about like, oh, well, what can I do? What can I do from there? And that might start a conversation within, like even self conversation or a conversation with a learning team or whatnot. So I just mm-hmm. I, I really I really like that from a well, uh, you know I had a I, I
2: had a conversation with some folks, right? So I, I get to work with educators all the time, and uh. And 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 this group was uh, overwhelmingly uh, folks who have been racialized as white. And I just want to qualify that. I don't think there are any white people. I think people have been racialized as white, right? Because yeah. if there were white people, then you could take me to the uh, uh, the the nation of white, and then I could find all the white people, right? So there's no nation of white officially. So there, so I mean, it's actually more. It's, it's bigger than that. But anyway, uh, one of the conversations uh, that I was having with folks ar- around this, right? So someone was said, said "Well, you know, I added." Ben Carson's book on you know, gifted hands, right? And so Ben Carson's story is amazing, but Ben Carson's super problematic, right? He harbors uh and 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 uh perpetuates anti-blackness because unlike racism, anybody can be anti-black, right? And so because these teachers were so uncomfortable with having this conversation, they would put Ben Carson's book in there. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't, right? But they weren't allowing students to critique it. It was treated as sacrosanct. Because this was their contribution to multiculturalism And they didn't want that to be questioned mm-hmm. So then there's all kind of things that you have to unpack Around that I'm not saying don't include Ben Carson's book I mean, Even if you, like I'm a proponent of Frantz Fanon Even if you include his book You still have to create space For students to be able to critique it Just because you've included teachers of color Or excuse me, authors of color Doesn't mean that their work is uh, above reproach right? Mm-hmm. You still have to be able to have those conversations And so that's one of the main problems I see with folks who are not clear about why they're adding things to syllabi, um, then you get into these spaces where it's no longer critical. It's actually, because there's no middle ground, right? There's no liminal space. It's at that point, anti-critical, right? Uh, When you don't allow students to have those kind of conversations. And so it's, it's, I think that that's, it's really timely, right? Because that's, that's, you know, we had this conversation a couple of years ago in California um, about hiring more people of color. I'm a huge proponent of hiring more people of color, people of color can also be problematic, right? So you can't hire people of color just to check a box, right? You have to understand uh, how to create space where you can get talented, impassioned folks of color uh, because we need them, right? And I'm not at all speaking against hiring folks, but it has to be thoughtful. It has to be intentional. And a lot of, because education has been overlaid with these kind of neoliberal, bureaucratic, kind of mechanistic procedures, we're always checking boxes, right? And so- so that's what we want to move away from in this book. If anything, man, stop checking boxes, y'all.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I really like the, I mean, in some of the, how you dive into words and like, you, you know, Jeremy, you talked about like not shying away from theory, like making sure like, hey, when we're thinking about being anti-racist, we're really talking about that. Not just to put that in there and be like, someone's like, oh, well, what does that mean? Versus like, no, you're, I mean, the the depth of, of detail that you go in and even thinking like on. I'm looking at page 151, I believe, where you talk about what it means to be an anti-racist educator. I mean, there's several points where I'm like, huh? And I'm I'm doing like a self-inventory, but like the, you know, the, it's not, not these like floating words around there. Like, you know, Jeremiah saying like checking a box, like, Oh, we're talking about anti-racism. We're good. And like, no, no, (laughs) no. Now, What are these practices that exist in there? So, um, wanted to get into some of these learnings and I, and I would assume like with, uh, writing the book and you get a chance to, and you know, you're talking about all the different times of having to share advice and things like that with other folks and about what they w- might do in certain situations. And, and then being able to do that, you, you learn from that process. So like with writing the book, what did you learn even more about what does it mean to be, uh, to, what does it mean to, to present a, a white educator's guide to equity?
1: yeah that's a great question um i think you know to kind of go back to this you know we're just talking about the theory and like and trying to include the theory for the educators but i've also i also just started to realize especially in kind of the aftermath of the pandemic and what that did to education that our students and and i say our students being community college students they they want to come into our colleges and they want to be college students and they want to be treated like college students. Um, And so one, one thing that I've started to do a lot more of, and this kind of speaks to Jeremiah's point about allowing students to critique like the curriculum and the books and that is like, is to give the students some of the theory um, to, in order to discuss things like um, you know, like racial justice. So I've, I've started including like um, you know, text and units and lectures and activities around the critical race theory Mm. we've talked about um critical race storytelling quite a bit because i mean you know in composition um you know critical theory in general so we've talked about gramsci and and just kind of giving the students the the vocabulary to to kind of talk about their experiences um talk about what they're seeing in their communities um and I, and I think that's something that um, a lot of colleagues of my colleagues have resisted, right? It's like, it's too hard for the students, right? They, they're community college students. They, you can't be teaching them Gramsci. Right. And it's like, well, <laughs> hold on a second. Like <laughs> you can, you just, you yeah. know, you just have to have to embed it in the well, right They have to know
2: it. They have to know it in order to be able to teach it. Yeah. So.
1: Um, so, so that's one of the, one of the things that I've kind of, you know, learned I'm I'm very, I've become very interested in, you know, book idea for us coming up, Jeremiah is just like, I've become very interested in the stigma around community colleges and about um, how race plays a role in that, right? Because I don't think and I, I need to do more research, but I don't feel like the stigma existed in the 1940s and 1950s. Like my kind of preliminary thesis is that once the community colleges started to diversify, right? Especially Mm -hmm. in like Texas and California, I bet the community colleges in Mississippi are very diverse and probably majority students of color, right? I, th- I have a feeling that once community colleges started diversifying, started becoming majority students of color. That's when the stigma started to yeah. pop up. Right. And, <laughs> um, and so like one of my goals is like, you know, when I'm in a classroom full of, you know, in, in my Moja class full of African-American students, but just in even just the general population class, you know, majority students of color, I ask them like, let's think about like why it's stigmatized for you to be sitting in this classroom. Right. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of like the launching off point for, this, these ideas about critical theory and critical race theory. And it's,
2: it's been interesting. It's not just stigmatized. That's intentional. Right. I know, you know yeah. that. Right. It's intentional. So when they because So I don't know if you know, it's in California, Joe, 77 uh, percent of all first and family black students to go to college, start their college journey in community college, 80 mm. percent of Latinx students. Sixty-seven percent of, and this is as of like 2018. The numbers may be different now, but sixty-seven uh, percent of Asian Pacific Islander students, right? Um, and so the students that we talk about who are first in family to go to college, they're going to community college first. Yeah. Right? That's 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 where they're going. And so, and so in this kind of racialized, capitalistic, and we talk about racialized capitalism uh, in the book. In this kind of racialized, capitalistic, and so the way that it works, right? In order for capitalism to work, you have to be able to create surplus value. Right. So, in order to accrue surplus value, that means that you have to pay someone less than what it is that they produce. Right. So, in racialized capitalism, certain groups of people have been prefigured as sites of corporeal surplus value extraction. That means that their bodies, their souls, their spirits are spaces where surplus value can be extracted. In this country, those people are overwhelmingly women, overwhelmingly black and brown. Right. So, that's what it looks like. So, community colleges right were then considered to be places that could replicate automatons right people who could go into spaces uh and be workers so that they could feed these kind of capitalist endeavors and again in this country there's no separation between uh, white supremacy and capitalism. They've always been in this kind of incestuous relationship, right? Where I would argue racialized capitalism birthed white supremacy, but then they got married and then they produced, they had a progeny, which was racism, uh, anti blackness, all these other isms, right? And so, and so, and so you're not, uh, it's not happenstantial that there's a stigma associated with uh, community college that is wholly intentional and that's one of the things that we try to unearth in this book as well look you people have brilliant people have spent years trying to fix the system the educational system but there's a problem what's the inherent problem with that you two are brilliant folks it's not broken you can't fix something that's not broken it's working the way that it was designed so Mm -hmm. that's one of the things that we're trying to make plain in this book as well yeah
0: well, I'm going to throw that same question at you, Jeremiah. I mean, with your, you had put some, your chapters together too, like in your writing, like what did, what did you glean? What are some lessons that you learned in gleaning some and putting that content together?
2: So one of the things I think we, we talked about this before, Joel, is that I just felt like, cause I got Jeremy, right? So Jeremy was a problem for everybody else. Cause Jeremy was really, <laughs> I was the director of equity Love at the Jim. college. Like Jeremy's like, okay, man, we're talking about this. Let's go talk about it. So I'm like, okay. This is what faculty is ready to do. But it turned out there's only one Jeremy. Right. Go figure. Uh, and, you know, there, there are other folks who are interested in, in doing this work uh, as well. Right. But but the reality was folks were too injured. Uh by whatever it is, whether it became cancel culture or wokeness, right? Who Mirror, mirror on the wall. Sean jenright talks about this book in The Four Pivots. Got to check that out. Uh, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the wokest of them all, right? And how problematic that kind of thinking is. And so there were, uh, because nothing moves forward. If, if folks of color can fix these issues all by ourselves, right? Wholly, right? And I'm not trying to be reductive. We have been, Right enslaved people weren't free. They fought for their freedom, right? So I'm, I want to be very clear about that. But it takes cross-racial solidarity in order to really move the needle. And so in order to have uh, uh, my my white brothers and sisters uh, ready to commit to this work, I had to stop making trying to make them run and realize that they were in an injurious state, right? And I couldn't deny that. Even if I felt like uh, it was catalyzed by white guilt and maybe they shouldn't feel that way. It doesn't matter. They still felt that way. And so that's what I learned in writing the book is that we had to have conversations where people could find a footing. You can't race if you can't find your footing, right? And it's, just, it's not really a sprint. It's a, it's a, it's a marathon, but irrespective, right. Of the distance of the race and how long people are committed to running, right. Uh, uh, they needed to be in a place where they felt like they could do the work. And so that for me was what, uh, what kind of led to the way that I constructed my contributions to the book. The last, the epilogue um, talks about a program that we talked about several times. Uh, Joel is bringing us to Universe to Ole Miss so we can talk about the ideal program. Um, and the real quick for folks who haven't heard it already is the initiative and in diversity equity, anti-racism and leadership. As a matter of fact, I should get you to, to, to speak to the group. We're about to start our next, our fourth iteration, uh, in a couple of weeks. Um, and so it's a program that serves community college students, uh, teaches them how to do anti-racist policy work and also do a lot of introspective, uh, reflective work on how they negotiate the world. So saying all that to say, um, That program showed me, and I know this spiritually, right? I didn't know this practically. It showed me the power of love and how love can change people. And I'm not saying, you know, you have to love every individual student, but what I'm saying is that you have to love justice. And if you love justice, it changes the way you comport yourself when working with people um, who are under your care. And so, and so that uh, is how, That was reflective um, for me. That was what I learned. I learned that you could actually um, operationalize radical love. I didn't know that. Turns out, it's really, really awesome. Uh, The University of Washington and Joel has seen this report. um, Did a report on the ideal program and the person who, you know, she's a PhD level researcher. That's what she does in their community college. Research Institute And she was like Look I don't know What to tell y'all I'm paraphrasing Obviously What she said Was (laughs) a lot more Erudite than that This love stuff Is doing something Right Those were part Of her findings Right And so uh, And so anyway I just saw How that can uh, Move people In a different way And so that's What I got Out of the Out of the book You know The parts that I wrote Is cathartic for me But I really learned The power of radical love And how it can Not only change uh, Movements But it changes people
0: Yeah Absolutely. So in you know, the purpose of this podcast, I just, is all about learning how to teach better. And so obviously this, this book, I think it helps people learn how to teach better, but anything you want to highlight from the book, that's like, Hey, you know, if there's one thing that even I keep going back to, it's this thing. If we haven't mentioned it yet about how to teach better and given the, uh, I love how you talk about, you know, we're not just, we're not going for equity, but we're, we're centering on, uh, be missing the words, but you got like, it justice going for right? equity, not- but centering on justice, right? Yeah, so and I like how both those words are in the title. But anything that you'd want to highlight, uh, from the book about lessons that are for learning how to teach better, Jeremy? You got anything you want to highlight?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the thing that I would want to highlight is actually not even one of the teaching strategies, it's one of the strategies in part one. Um, it's a practice that I I termed and it's overly academic i know i, I can't think of anything better but anti-racist reflective praxis and essentially it's it the um, yeah, it too,
0: yeah.
1: Like, <laughs> uh, essentially it's the process of understanding like your kind of racial like world view right and um understanding why you like see race and people of color the way you do and why you act certain ways around people of color and um and so the, the the four steps are to um, it, you know kind of acknowledge um, your your beliefs, actions. Acknowledge that you, you live in a society that has um, essentially uh, conditioned you right to feel anti-blackness, to have racist beliefs and and uh, about people of color, to commit racist actions against people of color. Right. Next step is to understand those where those come from right um understand why it is that when you see um a, a black man you know walking down the road towards you while you get a little tense right What where's that coming from right um because of you know because if you, you kind of step back and think objectively like it's just it's just a black man walking down the road towards you right <laughs> i mean <laughs> it's fine like everything's yeah. fine but it's, there's something that you've been conditioned to do like viscerally that is you know causing some kind of reaction right so the next step is to understand that. And then third step is start to deconstruct And Now that you're aware of these beliefs, of these actions, right? You need to start deconstructing them, kind of understanding why they're false whites, why, why you should not be tensing up when a, a man of color is walking towards you on the, on the street, right? Yeah. Um, and then the last part is just acting on it. Like, what are you going to do now, right? Um, how are you going to continually... You know, because like, I, and, and you know, and the reason I, I bring this up is because you asked, like, what do what do I keep turning back to? And it's this practice, right? Because yeah. the thing is, though, is that if you're if you if you if you just sit there, before you know it, like you're kind of reinvested in white supremacy, right? Yeah. It's just it's like we're inundated yeah. with images and and um, there's no but, middle ground. There's no middle ground. Yeah, and you, yeah, yeah, exactly. You can't. Yeah, yeah. You're either. You're either kind of invested in it and, you know, in enacting kind of violence against people of color and students of color, right? Or you're consistently kind of critiquing yourselves and your beliefs and acting on that and trying to deconstruct those actions and beliefs. And so, um, it's definitely something that I mean, it's funny. Like the other day, I was like, you know, going through my email and the New York Times sent me this like quiz like oh do you, do you use these words you, you all probably got it too right you use these <laughs> words right and I went through that and I was like man there's some like there's some things that I say that are like really problematic like I used I used the term powwow right and man. now that like I've read I read like how problematic it is now it's like now it's up to me to continually ensure that I don't use that word right it's kind of like what you and I were talking about Joel at the beginning about old Miss being problematic and like how you kind of yeah. you know steer away from that term right but the fact is that it's going to, you know, there will probably be an instance where I'm in a conversation, not thinking and I might say something like, oh yeah, like, you know, me and the, my colleague had a powwow and it's like, oh, hold. but the thing about this metacognitive practice is that I need to catch myself yeah. and then think yeah. about it. Right. Um, it's, in, in the book, I have an experience. I don't want to like belabor this too much, but there's an experience that I talk about in a British literature class where um, we're talking about Middle English. And so Middle English is kind of like the um, fusion of Germanic languages and Latin, right? And um, I forget what, the student asked me a question about it. And I don't remember what the question was, but I remember my response was, is that like, oh yeah, like, you know, like all languages have like a Germanic or Latin component to it. And I was like, and the second I said that, like instantly, I was like, that was stupid. Of course <laughs> not. Of course not. Right. Like I essentially just erased like half of the world's <laughs> languages. Right. And so, you know, and I had a lot of like Asian American students in the class and like, and, and one of them actually like looked at me like sideways, <laughs> you know, you, you probably know her Hannah, right. Great yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Hannah's great. And I was like, Oh you guys, let me, yeah. let me walk back a little bit and yeah. like, let me talk about like, w- you know, what I said and like, why that was incorrect. Let me kind of, you know, correct the record. Right. But <laughs> I, I think too many, too many educators would have said that maybe just kept going. Yeah. Right? yeah. And, and the idea behind part one is just like to catch yourself. Mm-hmm. And if you do it in the classroom in front of students to actually just stop and like have a discussion with the students instead yeah. of trying to like cover it up. Right. Cause yeah. you, I mean, I think that's a pretty minor example, but you know, you could say something or do something in class that could actually really traumatize. Students, yeah. yeah. Right? I mean, I think about the incident skyline, right. With the, yeah. Like <laughs> the blackface right People so it's just like
2: stuff going on <laughs> that's
1: traumatizing you know yeah. and so if that if that instructor had the wherewithal to like just instantly say like oh that was a bad idea well, let's they talk about this they got defensive. yeah they got defensive right
2: If yeah. they would just say
1: like i messed up right and then that probably would have gone a different course right it takes so.
2: courage what jeremy is talking about takes courage and it's and it's in contradistinction to the way that the system, uh, educational system set up. Joel, you're a professor, but whether or not you want to admit it, because you have a level of expertise, right? And we know Joe Bowler's work. Joe Bowler's pushing back on this idea of expertise. And Jeremy is an expert, right? And so, Jeremy, so if you're an expert, then that means it's very difficult for you to cede any modicum of power to your students. So if you have to admit you're wrong, guess what, right? Are you the expert that you were mm-hmm. built to be, right? Because you got hired, right? Now, it's a little different in community college, right? Because it's not the same requirement for research. But folks in community college, you get hired because you're subject level mastery, right? And so it's very difficult for people to understand what Freire said, right? Freire said that sometimes the teacher is a student. Guess what? Sometimes the student is the teacher. And so, and so folks push up against that and, and then they don't grow. It's really difficult for folks to grow when they're afraid. And that spirit of fear is rampant, right? Mm-hmm. So it takes courageous introspective, reflective work to get to where Jeremy is saying. And that's what the book is encouraging. Like, Jeremy's awesome. He's my guy. Right. But there are other people who, who can do the same thing. There are other white educators that can do it, what, what, what you two are willing to do. Right. But you just got to be willing to say, look, man, I wasn't right this time. Let's yeah. talk yeah. about what happened.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, i oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jeremy.
1: Well, I was just saying that the students, like our students are great. I mean, <laughs> and like, if you mess up in the classroom, the students are, they're going to, they're going to like cheer you on. Like if you're, if you're real, if you're real with them, the students are like, you know, professor, like, you know, thanks for that. Like, you know, you got this, you're trying, you know, and it's
2: humanizing. That's radically humanizing pedagogy. We talk about that in the book. That's what radically humanizing pedagogy look like. What were you
0: gonna say, Joe? Well, I was gonna say, I mean, because you talked about love, you know, and love is an action. And then, you know, Jeremy, Uh you lay out these, you know, these things that you do to the anti-racist reflective reflective praxis. And then talking about the process you just went through within your own classroom, where you know you made a mistake and said something, and then you were able to recall. I mean, like you're you're loving on your students, and you're you're and also showing like. I'm loving enough to work on myself because I made a mistake, but I'm willing to own up to it. And and yeah. let's keep, because as soon as we, as, as you said, as soon as we stop moving forward, then we're, then we're, we're, we're back But there's no, there's no middle ground here.
2: That's self-love too, right? No. That's what, that's what Gary Howard talked about in his book many years ago, right? That me and Jeremy looked at, uh, uh, you can't teach what you don't know. He was talking all about white educators and you, you got to love yourself too, man. If you yeah. are living in a place where you are ashamed of everything, See that's the thing, like white guilt. I was talking to a group of folks right before this conversation about uh, because I'm gonna have a conversation with a bunch of uh, educators who are racialized as white about anti-blackness, how to identify and work to uh, uh, rid themselves of anti-blackness. And I used to be someone who was on campus uh, preaching the gospel all the time, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right, the word gospel just means good news, and there are always people who are. There with this fire and brimstone gospel, too, right? So, fire and brimstone, I know Joe knows what this yeah, is. Fire yeah. and brimstone, if you don't convert right now, you're going to hell, buddy, right? And that's how nobody gets saved from a fire and brimstone gospel. They may get scared, yeah, and they may change momentarily, but that doesn't work because that's not love changes people, fear stultifies people, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and so the idea is look, man, you can do this work, it's within you to do it. Right. It's within you to be introspective. It's within you to be reflective. Not everybody's in the same place, but you have the capability of doing it. And so the goal is always to create space where you are not putting burdens on people that are too great for them to handle. Right. And so when people start to feel guilty about being white, right? Or guilty, right? Those th- those types of things. I'm not saying that people don't need to wrestle with that. People absolutely need to. People who are beneficiaries of white supremacy, just like I'm a beneficiary of cis-heteropatriarchy, I have to, I have to wrestle with those things, right? Mm-hmm. I have to, in order to be an ally, in order to be a co-conspirator. I'm not exculpating anyone, but I'm saying if you get stuck in a space where you can't move forward because of that guilt, it's because you don't care about the work, you just care about yourself, mm-hmm. right? And how it makes you feel. So until, until you're able to get past that, it's very difficult to move forward. And so the goal is like, look, you can do it. That's why yeah. I said that several times, right? You can do this work and the time is now and you can do it. And I believe it because I've seen it.
0: So the, you can do this work. I mean, that kind of seems like that's the anti-racist uh, growth mindset kind of in yeah. a, right, in a right, right. Like, yeah. you can do this work. <laughs> you can. Right. Yeah.
2: But you got to be brave. Mm-hmm. You got to be brave. And, and, and it's not, and our goal, and I, you know, I don't speak for Jeremy, but I know we've had many conversations. Like the goal is not to make people feel uh dejected, right? We're trying to encourage people. Look, it's necessary work, somebody has to do it, and you're that somebody. So here's how you get started. Yeah. And so now then, after having those conversations, right, people have to decide whether or not they want to do it. So if people opt out, they opt out, but it's not because they weren't invited into the space. Mm-hmm.
0: So, you know, doing a work like this and putting it out into the world, like not not that you're fearful, but just like what might be the major critique of of the work? Or like just like how might people like unfairly take it up? I don't know. I guess th- there's just throwing a couple ideas out there.
2: Let me add a layer to that too real quick. Joe, Thank Jeremy, you. would you have written this book the same way uh, if you didn't have tenure yet? You're speaking to the educators Ooh, out
0: there. There you go
1: yeah I think I would have <laughs> yeah I think I would have, but you know but I think that's more i think that's more a consequence of the culture yeah. at c s m than anything yeah um, sure. if I was teaching yeah. at a different college i might I might have a different answer to that but yeah. yeah well
0: let's let's jump on that so because there i mean i think i have a a place where i can i can do i can do i can do this work right I can do this work right, but there are places where you know there's there's fear Uh, Around that, And so I guess, you know, Jeremiah, you've encouraged this work and Jeremy, you've done this work and like what, what suggestions or what, uh, yeah, what would you put out there for, for folks that, you know, they want to do this work. They think they can do this work, but they have that, that fear in doing the work.
2: Right. And what do we say to our colleagues in Florida? Right. You can't do the work. Right. Right. Or Texas. Yeah. Or (laughs) Texas. Right.
0: (laughs)
1: I mean I think there is there's a way to do this work without creating a curriculum that's all about critical race theory and <laughs> and you know like at the at the most basic level this work is about you know as Jeremiah is saying like that unconditional and radical love for your students right. Mm-hmm the, the part one of this book is a it's, a, it's a, personal journey, right? It's not an institutional journey. It's not what yeah, yeah. happens in the classroom. Right. Um, and if you can do that, if you can start to kind of change and evolve your, your worldview and like how, like the knowledge that you um, kind of privilege in your classroom or just even in your own mind, like you don't, you, like, you know, you don't have to go into your classroom teaching Franz Fanon.
2: Yeah. <laughs> that's not that's
1: not a prerequisite for achieving social justice in a classroom. Yeah. Right? That's
2: what I used to do. I used to hammer <laughs> folks, man.
1: <laughs> I mean, I think we we are we have the benefit of working in higher ed, where we're not handed a, a canned curriculum that we have to teach. Right? I mean, if this was a question for high school teachers, it might be a little bit different, right? But as higher education professionals, I, th- I think that we can we can critique some of the kind of Eurocentric knowledge and practices that we use in our classroom without bringing too much attention <laughs> to ourselves, yeah. I guess, you know, if that makes sense, right. Without yeah, having yeah. that conservative student, like in your class, go like complain to the Dean that you're right. talking about, like Derek Bell or something like that. Like there's a, there's <laughs> ways to not like, <laughs> to get around that kind those kinds of discussions and still have a pretty empowering classroom.
0: Yeah.
2: For sure. I think, it, I, Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
1: and last thing I was going to say is like, I've, and I've had those conservative students in my classes and like inviting them into these conversations has been like uh, pretty effective. I mean, like I've, uh, am I changing like their mind is like, is this earth shadowing from probably not, but I think they're at least leaving my classroom with like 30% more like knowledge on like what race and racism are like in the U S and what race relations are like. And, you know, maybe planting a tiny seed that might sprout in 20 years. I don't know. But, yeah. you know.
2: Well, that's the hope of education anyway, right? Like we just leave these breadcrumbs and hopefully they follow the trail. I actually hate that, but that's the way that education is designed. So there's something I, real quick I want to key in on. And I think that for me, so I didn't have this language. Uh, I, I listened to a podcast the other day, Philosophize This, and they were talking about the life and work of Simone Weil. And so she was a grounded philosopher. Right. And so so she had a conversation with Simone Boulevard and they were, you know, they were contemporaries. They were at the same school at the same time. And, and the question was like, well, how do we aid folks during the revolution? because like, the French, you know, things were going on there. And, and Boulevard said, well, you know, we have to help people realize their ontological existential vocation. Like, what are they fighting for? And then Simone Vay said to her, right, which is a healthy critique, it's clear you've never been hungry. Right. Mm. That's not what they needed. Right. They needed something much more practical. Right. And then it reminds me of this kind of philosophical work of Cornel West, who's, you know, considered in many ways a a pragmatic philosopher. And he said, Cornel West said that pragmatism as a kind of philosophical discipline is always looking at ways to create solidarity within catastrophe. Right. And so going back to Vay's work. Right. What Ve says is that. One of the primary tenets of her work, she only lived to be 34, but she like fought on the front lines, all kind of stuff. Right. Uh, In those 34 years, uh, she said that what matters is what we pay attention to. Okay, she said, because what you pay attention to informs the way that you live your life. And then there's this kind of circular thing that happens the way that you live your life informs what you pay attention to. So if you don't pay attention to. The anti-blackness that is rampant in our educational system, the anti-blackness, for example, and there's other antis, right, but the anti-blackness that has permeated uh, the professor, right, has permeated education, permeated our laws, what happens is that you start to look for things, you pay attention to things that confirm your biases. Mm -hmm. So if you're not willing to do the work that Jeremy is talking about, because Simone, Simone Weil also argues that you can change what you pay attention to. And when you change what you pay attention to, right, then you create radically new possibilities, right? And so for her, it was really problematic the way that our educational system is set up. Like you go, and especially in the hard science, this is more Joel space, right? You go and then there's a definitive answer to the question. Once you've you've found that definitive answer to the question, five plus five is 10, then the journey is over, Mm -hmm. right? It could be contextualized or decontentated, but the journey is over. There There are no new radical possibilities and that becomes then inert knowledge. So what she's arguing is that if you pay attention to why do I have to learn, Joe, why do I have to have epistemological, why do I have to learn five plus five is 10? Why is this based on this kind of Grecian idea of uh, uh, alphabetic numbers? Like if if I'm able to ask those types of questions, right? When we can get at the nature of knowledge, then radical new possibilities are created. And Freire would argue that's critical education. But if educators are afraid to say, I don't know the answer, when students pose a question, then they're always going to shut off that level of conversation and it makes it very difficult for the students to find their footing in the class. And it ends up replicating, because this is the thing. And the last thing I'll say about this, you brilliant folks, I respect you a great deal. You're my brothers. You can come to your job and do exactly what's on your job description. And I know that you both are anti-racist, but still be replicating uh, race-based inequity, because that's the way the system is designed. Right. So folks have to pay attention to what it is they're doing, you know, what you all both were mentioning, continuously in order to be different. And so I can jump off my soapbox now. Oh, that's good. That's good.
0: Um, and I want to honor your your time here, but uh, I always wanted, with experienced educators, and, and Jeremy, I want to take advantage of your experience here uh, working at the College of San Mateo, but what is the just, and it could be related to the book, could be something else, or it could be something you're reading, could be something you want to try this semester. I know you're about to start a new semester. What is the best thing you've learned to help you teach better lately? Ooh, that's a great
1: question. <laughs> <laughs> um, after I wrote this book, um, there's, a, there's a chapter, I forget what chapter number it is, but there's a, a chapter in there that kind of asks the reader to kind of think about like put themselves in the student's shoes and kind of think about what their stu- what students of color are going through. What And, you know, as they navigate higher ed. And so it's a chapter about like stereotype threat, microaggressions, things like that. Um, but one of the framework that I use in that chapter is counter storytelling. And so after I wrote the book, I got really interested in critical race storytelling. Mm. Um, so, so much to the point where I have actually like writing a textbook for my class about critical race nice. storytelling. Yeah. Um, and so this semester i'm really excited to like really kind of put those that those like tenants into practice in class um i started doing this, this last fall but this coming semester i really want to start tackling this like community college stigma and i want to yeah. kind of bring the students in as like as fellow researchers and let's think about this uh-huh. stigma how it's connected to race like let's do the research um there's gonna be like a data collection looking at secondary sources so i'm like so, so, I mean, so it kind of goes back to my comment earlier. It's like I, I really am just like trying to treat the students like the brilliant people they are, right? And yeah. and and push and really, really pushing them because, you know, like Claude Steele found this and, you know, and Jeremiah writes about this as well. Like if, if you're like loving on your students and you're treating them like, you know, like smart humans, like they're like the skies really is the limit, right? Yeah. Like so much of these opportunity gaps are like imposed by us, limiting our yeah. the way our students think and the way that they kind of engage with the materials, right? And so I'm just trying to blow that roof off and let the students become like co-researchers and co-creators of knowledge. And let's like let's kind of look into this question, see what we find this semester. So yeah. let's see how
2: it goes. It. <laughs>
0: Jeremiah, you got anything recently about learning how to teach uh, I'm better?
2: Really, I, I'm. I'm really. Uh, I'm really happy that I don't have to be the smartest person in the room when I'm interfacing with students. For a long time, I thought that that was, you know, my first stint at teaching was at UC Berkeley, right? So I'm like, oh man, they're gonna ask me questions that I can't answer, and uh, then I'm gonna start making up stuff. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but anyway. You know, and there was a there was a pressure there and I couldn't be an active listener. I couldn't be as empathetic uh as I'm capable of being, because I had to have a kind of shield up wherein uh I could keep a distance between the student and myself so that they knew that I was the person um who you know, some of that was racialized, right? Like I had students ask me like a uh you know, questions that they I don't think they would ask someone who was a more archetypical looking kind of uh professor, right? Like a yeah. disheveled, dodgy older white man. Like, Hey, how serious are you about grading? Like, can I, like you don't really have those kind of conversations with so certain, but they had that conversation with me. And so anyway, I think I built up some defense mechanisms and I never questioned them because I believe them to be empirically true, not just subjectively true. Um, but I've been freed up so much um, by the grace of God to recognize, like Jeremy's saying, the brilliance, Of the students that I work with And I get the chance to work with community college students I get to work with a bunch of folks who already have terminal degrees And it has really been Liberating for me To not have to be the smartest person in the room All the time Because I'm not and now I realize that right? But I was acting like I was
0: well I really like the the way both you're kind of talking about the teaching and students and like it reminds me of a uh, uh Parker Palmer's book he he has this like two models of the classroom one is like just disseminated. Yeah. it's like straight down like just you right. know the depositing right. sort of mindset oh, versus yeah. like no no we're all interacting within this space like we're all, like when I'm teaching my elementary math methods we're all learning how to teach math methods and you're going to come in students are coming in with these ways of teaching that are like Oh my gosh! I want to use that with the next class because this was amazing. <laughs> so like, like getting that excitement and 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 that also like making sure that we're all seen as both learners and teachers in this space. And I I can't wait for the critical race storytelling book. I like, I mean that is like the the power of story, right? Is is pretty good, and that's a that's at the heart of what critical race theory is. Like that power of voice and and what's the experience, right? right? Um, besides the book anything else to promote I, i've heard already talk of a new book and there's mention of a new book in uh, another book coming up within the this book too so i don't know what, what else do you have to promote
2: jeremy never stops writing <laughs> uh so this I, book is is a tome it's like almost 400 pages and that's mostly jeremy <laughs> it's,
1: it's I, w- I will say though i'll just put it out there that i don't think chapter one starts until page 50 so <laughs>
2: <laughs> i had some stuff I had, I had a few things to say yeah too. like this intro keeps going man yeah, yeah, yeah. so <laughs> me, me and jeremy are not helpful to each other in that regard uh so he's like you know should i say this too i'm like yeah say that too yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That's also that <laughs> so,
1: it, it's all it's all good info um for me, yeah, I mean, um, the the textbook I'm working on um, is called "The People's Stories: Crit- Critical Storytelling for Social Justice." Won't be won't be out for a while, but um, yeah. but if you if you link folks to my website, they can kind of yeah, keep an eye on it, on it there. Um, and then, of course, my "The Obligation Gap" for any listeners that haven't read that. Yeah. Um, I think you know th- what, one of the concepts in the book that I kind of tagged on a little bit from my Obligation Gap was this idea of the triple helix, which was um, something that was uh, theorized by Richard Delgado. And the, the the triple helix that I talk about is really about like how our curriculum is tied into institutional processes, like the curriculum committees, hiring, things like that. The t- even the tenure process has a huge impact on what gets taught in classrooms. And mm-hmm. so my Obligation Gap is just a really, I think, a great way to look at how you know, our institutional processes and cultures and rules and traditions and all that impact the classroom. And so I think, I really do think that these, both these books together, are just like, is this going to be number two in the series, Jeremiah? This is number two in the series. Yeah, yeah. So I think these two together, are just like, like, just kind Thanks. of a bigger view in the, the short view. So I definitely recommend
0: Obligation Gap as well. Awesome. Yeah. And we will yeah. link to your blog and or your website. And then, and then maybe if the textbook comes up, you can come back on on the yeah, right on, on the perfect podcast. there we go
2: and then I have another book I'm working on too it's called uh uh brothers gonna work it out and it's radical what is it radical vulnerability radical love and radical healing for black men and it talks about the multi-dimensionality of black male life so I'm interviewing all these guys um and then I'm gonna put it all together so that's just that's, that's a little ways out too um but I really thought this concept of multi-dimensionality with regard to black lives, because a lot of times black lives, especially black male existence is considered to be monolithic in some respects. Yeah. And so, and so I want to explode that, but the, the, it starts right on this kind of cheeky, uh, kind of like if you, if you're reading this book to recognize, uh, the humanity of black men, then this is not the book for you because you should already know that. So mm-hmm. I only want people who already know that to read the book. Yeah. And so, uh, and so anyway, so that's the work that I'm undertaking now. Cause, uh, you know, writing is cathartic. So,
0: mm-hmm. nice, nice. Well, again, thank you both for being willing to come on. Well, one, thank you for putting work out into the world. This is this is great work. This is you know, and again, I like the the positivity around the the anti-racist growth mindset, and then thinking about again the the things that I can go into and refer to this. And I know it's there's community colleges in the title. I don't know we're at a community college, but I think a lot of.
2: It's supposed to be and beyond. So it's yeah. supposed to be in community colleges and beyond. So we'll make sure that that is there. It,
0: and I'll, I'll, I'll underline that it is All and right. beyond, right. Yeah. It, and there's a lot of value in the book. And I, again, thank you for putting them out into the world. And again, thank you for sharing your time here on this podcast.
1: My absolute pleasure. Yeah. yeah thank you for having us, Joel. All
0: right. A lot there. <laughs> a lot there. Lots of good stuff. And it just reminds me, I just, I get, I want to just take a minute and be thankful like I'm just thankful for the opportunity to have that conversation and to be exposed to the work that those two have done, and then to think about how to, that it's getting a chance to be that I'm sharing it through the podcast, and just it gets me to be thankful for just the just what just everything. I mean, I started this podcast sitting in the closet, in my clothes closet, and just on a whim and then kept going from there and wanting to share some things and kind of think of it as an extension of my own teaching my own classrooms here at the University of Mississippi and and wherever I get it, the opportunity to teach and then that those that putting i guess putting myself out there a little bit led to opportunities those opportunities led to connections led to being connected with Jeremiah and like so just taking the chance to do that and and thankfully the podcast has been pretty well received And then that leads to connections and leads to an opportunity where Jeremiah was sought out and said, Hey, uh, Jeremy and I have a new book and we'd like to talk about it on your podcast. Like, how awesome is that? And just so, again, so thankful for this opportunity. So thankful for the opportunity to share and just, it's, it's good to pause every now and then. And maybe it's just the beginning of a new year or whatnot, but thankful to kind of kick off the new content for this year and being able to share, um, stuff like this and looking forward to sharing more good stuff. Got some in the can, got some ready to go, got some plans, and just looking forward to more episodes. So, thank you for listening. Thank you for all that you do to to support the podcast. If you're looking for other ways to support, one, you could share your comments, questions, suggestions to the mailbag at Joel at AmazonPlanet Love to get those and talk about those. Kind of tack those on at the end of each episode. I uh, love to get some listener interaction. Again, I, I I hear stuff from folks in in different places, either. Th- Online or, or in person and just, you know, love to shout people out or even just to address some things that questions around people's minds and, and kind of curiosities and let's do it. Let's do it. And let's do it with the mailbag. So again, that's Joel at com. And then, if you're looking for other ways to support, you can also subscribe, rate, and review and share this episode, which will allow more people looking for similar content to find it. You can follow at Amazon Planet on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, or like the Amazon Planet Facebook page. In addition, you can subscribe to the Amazon Planet download, which contains teaching resources and updates from Amazon Planet. And finally, check out the Amazon Planet store or Amazon Planet bookshop. Links are in the footer at AmazonPlanet.com, where your purchases support the production costs of the podcast. Thank you for spending some time on Amazon Planet. Thanks to Jeremy and Jeremiah for sharing their time, expertise, uh, not only here on the podcast, but in the book that they have coming out. Thanks to Matt Muffin for the music in this episode. And finally, thank you to all of you out there learning to teach better and be the good in the world by investing in the lives of others. This world is a better place because you have decided to use the gifts you've been given to serve others. Thank you for all that you do. Peace. (music)